0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grants flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me as always, he is the Garth Algar to my Wayne Campbell, the one, the only Chuck Holmes. And, you know, I just want to say party on, Chuck. Try not to hurl. How are we doing, brother?
1: Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. I am I, I am so damn fired up that I can't even hardly sit in my seat. For I what? May stand up for what? What's going for, on? Well, Thanksgiving.
0: Oh course. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, obviously.
1: <laughs> oh I oh, I'm I'm fired up about uh, Ohio State. Just this kidding weekend, yeah. too. But Thanksgiving Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I can taste Thursday at about four o'clock already, and it's making me drool. Like I I am working out extra hard this week. Try to drop a couple LBs so that I can, I am, I am. That way I can catch an extra couple Thursday and not feel too bad about it. I'll be able to not have to unbutton my pants on the way home is the goal, but if I need to, I will do it.
0: All right, well, let's get into it. We got a little bit of time. I don't really have much of an intro planned here. What are your top Thanksgiving foods? Give me, you know, one, two, three, whatever you want. So uh,
1: I am a dressing guy, a stuffing guy. My uh, grandma, uh, homemade, taught my dad and now makes it and it is, uh, it is a work of art and I eat three or four helpings of that easy. Uh, I am a big canned sliced cranberry. Know the different, not the actual berries. I want the gel. I want the, I, listen, lines I know enough about,
0: I know enough about your upbringing that that doesn't surprise me in the least bit.
1: Yeah, we did, we, we still don't have real cranberries and I, I'm doing okay. But now I'm, I mean, I'm to the point where I'm committed at this point. And I'll be honest, man, I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a turkey guy, but I, you know what? I'm all of it because I'm a turkey guy mashed potatoes uh we might have some cheesy potatoes mixed in there i'm all of it it's it's i am here um for it i load my plate up let's go
0: yeah i i think personally i think thanksgiving is a little overrated but
1: god dang man
0: when it comes You know what? It sort really of depends on the football. I'll be honest. Like when the football sucks, Thanksgiving's overrated. When you get good games, it's a little bit better. But as far as food goes, I'm I'm sweet potatoes. Uh, normally, like them a little bit on the sweeter oh, side. That's a, that's you, the
1: only thing I can't go to.
0: See, I mean, or sweet potato pie would you know give me all of that. I'm a cranberry sauce guy, but I like to make my own. I have no problem with your canned version. I understand it. It's about the flavor but I make my own. I make my own. And then, um, I don't know if it's traditional, but broccoli and cheese casserole, my dad makes it. Uh, my, my wife learned how to make it. So she makes it now. Broccoli and cheese casserole. I'm a little bit off the, off the page. Right. But those are my staples that I've got to have. And, I got to go back for
1: it. I was going to blast you about that one, but
0: if Stone Cold's who got you hooked to it, who, who am I to argue? The man's an artist. But I wanted to go back for a second. You know, at some point, I feel like I should mix in some more modern references when I'm, you know, making our introductions. But I take pride in the intro, it's all some people listen to. I've actually gotten emails. Hey, Not enamored with the show, Chuck doesn't know Ball, but I love the introduction, so I can't roll out like some lame modern duo, like the guys that make up the Chainsmokers, you know what I mean? So, in your opinion, have I kept it fresh enough? Am I doing well with the intros? Do you feel appreciated by the intros? I feel
1: appreciated by all the intros that we haven't deleted that were completely inappropriate uh, that, the, <laughs> that the consumer didn't get to hear. All the ones they got to hear, I appreciate it. Um, are they a little outdated for some of our younger listeners? Absolutely. But this is our time, and it's our podcast, and perks of being on the job is we get to kind of control – 30 seconds of it, and that's our 30 seconds, so if you don't like it, pound sand.
0: <laughs> now, I'm with you. So Chuck and I are recording this episode on a dark, abysmal, like rainy Tuesday evening. It sucks here in Columbus, but the sun is metaphorically shining because obviously we've got Thanksgiving coming up in a few days, uh, a certain football game that we will get to shortly, Chuck. The only real question I had for you, aside from the Thanksgiving stuff, you know, you and I recording on Tuesday evening, the CFP rankings will come out a little bit later, so we don't know what they are. I don't really want to make a guess at all of them. We can talk about uh, what we think is going to happen on Sunday, you know, once we get a couple more results, but. I do want to focus in on Florida State for a second. You know, they had Jordan Travis go down. Was a Heisman candidate early. He's fallen off the pace a little bit, but still a really good player, fifth or sixth year guy. He was their guy, right? He goes down. Florida State's undefeated, and you know, I, I think they can probably get by. Is it Florida or Miami? They play one of their rivals this week, and then Louisville in the ACC championship game. If Florida State wins their next two games by three points, say they win each game by three, is there any way that the committee keeps them out of the CFP based on that big-time injury?
1: No, because they they win. Going to the Swamp is, while Florida is not Steve Spurrier, Urban Meyer, Florida, going to the Swamp is not an easy thing so if a Dude, they're not even
0: Dan startup, Mullen Florida
1: <laughs> no no but the swamp is still the swamp man you still got to go and you still got to deal with the nerves of a first start and then Louisville pretty good so if they run the table they're in I I just I mean look at what happened to Ohio State and I know it was a different you said three points versus uh 59 to was it what was the final score in 14 yes yeah, 56 59
0: points something like that yep
1: yeah that is a different animal. Obviously, they they rolled, so making that uh, comparison is a little off. But wins are wins this time of year, and they're not coming from behind. They're actually in it right now. They were, they were in the top four. So could you argue to drop them this week, and if they win their next two games, they make their way back in? What's great about the <laughs> – I use great loosely what they have to their advantage is they claim to start over every week so they can just put them back in it for in two weeks if that's what they feel like doing. So I don't think it hurts them long term. I think the challenge is, is I do think they probably lose one of the games and that is what eliminates them. I think if they lose to Florida and still win the ACC ACC championship game, they're probably five of them five when it comes to conference champs in my opinion but uh, otherwise undefeated i think they're in
0: i actually agree with you wholeheartedly because of the louisville piece i'm not going to be impressed if they beat florida especially florida lost graham mertz and i thought graham mertz stunk on ice for four years when he played at wisconsin he's been okay at florida but is jack
1: miller gonna get some is he gonna get some snaps this week
0: i don't know if jack miller's honestly on the roster We'll, we'll get research on that. We'll get we'll get our producer on that. But the Louisville win would be a real big time win and I honestly think that there's a chance Florida State does it because I, I couldn't even tell you who their backup is. I didn't watch that game last week. But Trey Benson is a really good running back. They've got Keon Coleman at wide receiver. Johnny Wilson, I think, is the big kid's name. Um, Bunch of guys on defense. So I I think it's still a really good team. They're going to have to win different, probably pound the rock ad nauseum over and over again. But I think that they can do it. And then if you can get the ball into the hands of Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, the defense plays well, then I think Florida State has a really good shot to – finish undefeated. Do they have a good shot to eventually win in the CFP under those circumstances? No. I don't think so. But they could beat Florida and Louisville. So,
1: Jack Miller, third string. So now he's the backup. He's one snap away from
0: controlling the CFP. Who would have thought that? Story of his life, man. He's always been a snap away from being a snap away. It just hasn't worked out for him. But Look, man, I, I don't have a whole lot else. I don't, I don't want to waste a lot of time. I want to get into this preview. So, Chuck, I say, I say we give the people what they want. Give them the early main course. They're going to get their main course on Wednesday when they listen to this. Let's take a break and preview this mother bleeping game. What do you say? I'm ready. I've been waiting for this day. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to Hangout in the Holy Land at Land Grants flagship podcast for Chuck Holmes. I am Josh Dooley, and it's Rivalry Week. It's Michigan Week. I'm going to try not to say that a bunch throughout. It is, it's the game, man. And you can go ahead and set the timer, Chuck. Like, I think we could do three hours on this if we wanted to, Joe Rogan style. Biggest game of the season in all of college football. Now, the SEC and Pac-12 title games might have more on the line in a few weeks, but as of now, this is the game of the year. It has been several times. Let me start the preview by asking you a question. With all the other stuff currently going on, is this year's version of the game bigger, more important, whatever, than 2006's Game of the Century?
1: It's not. And I think the reason it's not is the winner of this was, uh, the winner of the Game of the Century was the odds-on favorite to win the national title. And there was talk of it ended up being a rematch anyway. Obviously, that did not happen. It probably would have been better off. But with this, even with a win, either of these teams is still number two two I think I don't think either of them jump Georgia unless Georgia loses in the SEC title game I think they are the number one slot if they run the table and that's why I don't think it is Uh, the other part is I don't think these teams are as good as those teams were now it's 15 years later 17 years later so there's more talent but that's just because there's more talent in football but the gap in talent From what those teams had down to, say, the sixth, seventh, eighth best team in the country was much wider than it is between these teams and Texas and Alabama and those sorts that are currently in that ranking. So I think that was a bigger game. And um, there's nothing that could happen in this game that could exceed the excitement of that one. It might be able to match it, but good Lord, I don't there's just no way you could exceed the excitement that that game caused.
0: We agree again, completely. Like you said, 06 was number one versus number two, and there was only one national title game, um, or that's how you advanced, or that's how the winner of that game was going to advance. It was more or less win and play for the natty. This year, it's win and get into the final four, in all likelihood, unless you choke against Iowa, but... It is different circumstances. I think there is more parity this year. I'm with you that in 06, Ohio State and Michigan were, we thought were maybe head and shoulders above the rest. Obviously, Ohio State was not. But, yeah, and I don't think that, I think both of these teams are really, really good football teams. I do. I think that on any given day, Either is capable of ultimately going all the way, but until Georgia shows me otherwise, I think they're the best team in the country right now. I am scared to death of Alabama. Nick Saban's the Grim Reaper. He's brought that team back, and you know, Millrose going bananas now, and Oregon. I think has an argument if like everything else is equal, I think you could make an argument that Oregon is better than either one of these teams on any given day. I'm not sure how I feel about Washington. I've watched them play defense, like it, it, it's okay, but it doesn't impress me too too much based on what they did in the first half against Utah. Like Utah's not a very good offense and they torched them. So, I'm honestly not sure where these two teams rank in the hierarchy if everything else was equal. But if it wasn't for the sort of cheating saga going on right now, if it wasn't for Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day really not liking each other, and above all else, if it wasn't for social media and sort of the age that we live in, This game, there's no way it would be bigger than 06. It was number one versus number two. That was like, it it was called the Game of the Century for a damn reason, right? So that one's always going to be above for me. And we're 17 years
1: later and nothing has passed that for Game of the Century. They'll have no problem giving that hyperbole to the next Game of the Century. Uh, The media will be, but they haven't. And there hasn't been one that has lived up to that and rightfully so. I mean it was it was a shootout of shootouts in an era that shootouts didn't happen like that. The only place those happened were if you were running the air raid and these teams were not running the air raid and it was a up and down, it was a track meet for 60 minutes. It was it was it was a lot of fun.
0: It was, and I think the only way that it can be topped I, I don't know how it could be topped because you look at some of the other biggest rivalries. Georgia, Alabama—it's not there yet. It doesn't have a hundred years of history. Otherwise, maybe you can make an argument that one of these Georgia, Alabama games is or has been a game of the century sort of thing. But Alabama, Auburn's like up there as far as rivalry goes. Sorry, Auburn hasn't really been good, and Notre Dame—they've been sort of irrelevant. As far as the national title race goes for a number of years. So it's got to be the big boys. And there's got to be some history there. Something that it's rooted in. And Ohio State, Michigan, they're the elite of the elite. And they butt heads like this semi-regularly. But nothing like 06. Anyway... It's been rare in recent years for Ohio State to be an underdog. Without looking, I would guess that Ryan Day-led teams were probably dogs against Clemson, Bama, Georgia in previous bowl games. But I can't tell you the last time Ohio State was an underdog during the regular season. They are this week. Uh, The team up north is favored by 35 was five and a half earlier in the week or maybe on Sunday. Chuck, I have no issue with the line here. The Wolverines have won the last two games in this rivalry. They're playing at home. Great ground, great ground game. Defense is giving up like zero points per game. Do you think the Vegas got this one right or has this one right currently? I do.
1: Uh, because they've earned it. Two straight wins when they're even. You've got the, the history of the last couple of years and you're at home. So the, the thing, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk of there's not as much home field advantage in the NFL. I don't think college has changed at all. The home field advantage is the teams that have an advantage still have that advantage. And uh, maybe next year when they have headsets in the or they have speakers in the helmets, it changes. But this year without that, that home field is going to matter. Now, you and I can have a conversation about home field advantage in, in Ann Arbor versus home field advantage in Columbus and how much more Columbus is. But regardless, it's still going to be 110, 100, what is it, 15,000 people in a hole in the middle of nowhere. So it's going to be an intimidating place. And for that alone, you probably get to that three and a half number.
0: You and I would know how intimidating it is. We've been there. No need to rehash that, but Chuck and I made the trip many, many moons ago, and I'll be honest, like we were treated fairly or whatever, but it's a it's a nasty place to be if you're an Ohio State fan. Chuck, who is who do you think is facing or dealing with the most pressure this weekend? Brian Day. Well, look. I think Ryan Day seems like the obvious answer, and for good reason. He needs to get the mason blue monkey off his back and win another big game. He'll be coaching against an interim head coach, but can I possibly convince you that it's actually the team up north and Sharon Moore, Jesse Minter, etc.? Because look, they had lost eight in a row to Ohio State prior to twenty twenty. Then the COVID year, the COVID game comes around, and I will always believe until the day I die that Jim Harbaugh ducked this rivalry game. He was absolutely going to be fired if or when he lost five, six in a row, whatever it was. They don't play it, but Ohio State makes the college football playoff. So the Buckeyes nearly have a dream season. The Wolverines have a shitty one. Then, boom, 21 and 22, everything is, magically and drastically changes. Not so much the roster or the schemes or anything like that. Just the results. The team up north starts whooping every team they play, including Ohio State, except they get their doors blown off by Georgia in 2021 and TCU in 2022. The latter being a team that was never expected to reach the CFP. So... Now, because of the cheating scandal, a lot of people are asking how legitimate were all of those wins. No one in the state of Michigan, but people are asking. Were the Wolverines aided significantly by stealing signs, knowing play calls, etc.? If the Buckeyes win, then it's like, oh, well, that's proof. U of M only won because they cheated. And hell, even if the Buckeyes lose... People might still say, yeah, but McCord isn't Stroud. OSU isn't as good this year. I-, I don't think that that would be an apples-to-apples comparison, but I don't know, like look at Georgia as the team's common non-con, op- non-con opponent. The Bulldogs stomped the Wolverines in 2021 while the Buckeyes gave UGA all they could handle in the Peach Bowl. So do without what you will. I don't want to sound like an excuse maker. I just find certain stats and numbers to be interesting now that we know what was going on up North. And I think there is a lot of pressure on that team. I think everything you said
1: is exactly why all the pressures on Ryan day. So Ryan day has lost the last two games to Michigan. He was the last coach to lose two games to Michigan was fired. Um, Now, granted, it's been, 25 years, but John Cooper was fired literally because he couldn't beat Michigan. That was it. Nothing else mattered in that era. And that was before the frenzy that there is now because of social media and everybody's connectivity. The other part of this, if all that went on was why Michigan was winning, well, guess what? It's not going on now. So there's another reason you don't, you're not uh, behind the eight ball on them stealing your signs. You should be able to change your signs this week and they don't know them because they don't have guys watching our games the last few weeks. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, I I think he's a, a D bag, but he's a good football coach. And him not being on the sideline is a is 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 helpful. I know Sharon Moore has done fine, but he's never been a head coach. He's never done this at this level. And he's never experienced. Well, the he's done it three to-
0: three times now. This will be his fourth because of the multiple right, but, suspensions.
1: But nothing to this level. Like I don't care what you say. This game, the anxiety of this game, is going to create uh, tension in him, and it is going to allow the possibility of a mistake that hardball would not make because he's been around a million years. He's coached. He's wanted every level. He's wanted every level in the NFL up to the NFL as a player like that. All those make it easier on Ryan day. The other part of it that cannot be, it it just, it can't be underestimated is the um, anxiety of this fan base about losing two straight games Columbus is going to be a miserable place for Ryan Day to live for a few months if they lose this game. And I'm not saying it's right, but that's just a fact of the matter. If he loses to an interim coach in a year that he's 11-0 after already losing two in a row, when they haven't lost two in a row, they haven't lost three in a row since 95 through 97. like. There there are adults that have never experienced losing three in a row to Michigan. So fans are not going to be realistic, and that is going to put a heap of pressure on him.
0: Yeah, I can't argue with that. I just—
1: Hey, I got one other one. one. Sorry, I thought to interrupt. And this is a conversation down the road. There's a new AD coming in. You cannot underestimate— a new AD coming in, and I'm not saying it's going to be for next year. It, I, it it wouldn't be for next year, but you have a new boss coming in, and if the first or the last thing you did before that new boss came in was lose to your arrival and lose an opportunity to go win a national championship, having done it twice in a row already, that's not starting you off on the correct foot with the new administration.
0: I agree with all of that. I just... To me, it, it still seems like equal amounts of pressure, but like, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably already emotionally hedging, which I don't and didn't want to do, but it's tough because I am a, a Ryan Day guy. Like, losing to Michigan two years in a row, it sucks. And he's not a perfect coach, but man, I just, I like the way that he runs this program, I like the way for the most part that he goes about his business and you look elsewhere at certain guys now Lincoln Riley's a loser Davo Swinney's a loser like we've talked about this right, Luke Fickle sort of a loser right now Ryan Day has maintained the standard in like every single area Except for one. And that's a big, big area. That's a big void to fill. And he needs to do that. It's just... Like, if I were him and I did lose three in a row, I'd be like, well, yeah, but the last two, they were cheating. <laughs> like, I would I would have some excuses ready, but he doesn't get to do that. Even if he tried it, he wouldn't get the benefit of the doubt because... Fans in Columbus, like they want blood. They'll want blood if the Buckeyes were to lose three in a row. And it is it is a damn shame because, like I said, I'm a Ryan Day guy. I love the way that he runs the program. And I think he's a really, 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 really good football coach. But it, it, it's the game, man. It's the rivalry. It's the team up north. You got to beat them. And one and three, losing three in a row – it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. But, I don't know, man. Like, let's, let's move past the hypotheticals and the chicanery. L- let's look at these teams and some of these position groups, and then maybe we'll come back around to the, the overall sort of sense and feeling that we have. Let's look at Sharon Moore's offense. And we should absolutely call it that because Moore is now both the interim head coach and offensive coordinator for the Wolverines – Starting at quarterback like we always do, J.J. McCarthy is the team's starting quarterback. Former stud recruit, has fared well in Ann Arbor. He was a Heisman candidate for much of the season, but really started to fall off the pace this month. He still boasts a 74% completion percentage with 18 touchdowns and only 4 interceptions. Look, McCarthy's a talented guy. He can run, throw, whatever the team up north needs him to do. But it's sort of wild. He hasn't thrown a touchdown since October 21st at Michigan State. Hasn't thrown a touchdown in the month of November. It's been a month. It's been a month today, actually, since he last threw a touchdown in a football game. He was 12 for 23, 141 yards and a pick last weekend against Maryland. His... We know what he did against Penn State, right? He didn't throw the ball in the final two and a half quarters. His passer rating in November is 128. 50 points below what is now his average, which means that it was 200 plus a month ago. He clearly has not been lighting the world on fire. But we said the same thing last year, right? And while McCarthy's completion percentage wasn't great against the Buckeyes in 2022... Uh, He did throw for 263 yards and three touchdowns. And look, there's an argument to be made that the team up north just hasn't needed McCarthy this month. They're winning games on the ground. Why change the recipe? He is clearly capable of burning the Buckeyes, but I also think that this OSU secondary is much, much better this year than it was last Chuck, what are your concerns, if any, with the Wolverines quarterback? I agree with a lot of what you said. He's definitely,
1: I don't know that he has regressed, but their confidence has pulled back on him. Now, there is something too, and I think Michigan has been really good at this, and and you could argue how they're able to do it all you want. They have been good about kind of hiding stuff that they were going to do during this game and not breaking it out. I thought you were going to say, just say hiding
0: stuff. Well,
1: they are hiding stuff regardless, but there could be something to they're doing this on purpose, especially when Penn state, even though it was a quote unquote, close game, like you said, they were in control of that the entire time and they knew, and I, I feel like if something had happened, if Penn state had busted a big play and scored a touchdown, they would have changed that, but they did it because they could. The part that concerns me more than anything, and I I get what you're saying about the secondary being better, and I think that is going to be a plus for Ohio State, but if he doesn't have confidence against Ohio State, who the hell does he have confidence against after how he performed last year? I mean, he just let it rip, and it worked, and to me, I wouldn't care who was back there. If I saw red jerseys or white jerseys like it's going to be this year, all I would see is guy streaking deep like I did last year so there's something to playing Ohio State may give him some confidence even if it is the best defense he's played all year
0: yeah but the reason he let it rip is because there was no one within 10 yards of Cornelius Johnson last year uh because Ohio State couldn't guard a tight end and uh, hopefully they can do that this year but I get your point he's slain the beast once already. Even though, you know, I think they were equal last year, really just like they are this year. But, yeah, look, man, like I think he's a good player. If I'm being optimistic as an Ohio State fan, though, I look at the last month, I'm like, man, he really hasn't done a whole hell of a lot. But what concerns me is his ability to run. Like, he's not... Uh, he's not Lamar Jackson by any means. He's not even Josh Allen, who's just a freight train, right? But he's certainly athletic enough to be... Like, I don't know, I watched some of the game last night and I know that ultimately the Chiefs lost, but Pat Mahomes broke Philly's back like three, four times in the first half just getting away to get another set of downs, right? And so... J.J. McCarthy can do more than that. He's a he's a good enough runner that you have to account for that on every single play. And Ohio State hasn't faced a lot of guys like that this year. Hell, I don't know if they've faced one, honestly. Um, you know, last year there was the kid from Akron, Kent State, whatever, Daquan Finn, Toledo, who was a real running threat, but they haven't really had to deal with that this year. So... Rutgers is about it. Yeah, yeah. And they did fairly well, but Gavin Wimsat got some yards, made a couple plays, and when it was Wimsat and guy, Ohio State didn't always handle that the best, right, with that dual threat there. So, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak too highly or too lowly of anyone because I don't want to eat my words. So... Let's just sort of move on. At running back, if you don't know who Blake Corum is at this point, I'm not sure why you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> he leads the Wolverines with 888 rushing yards and 20 touchdowns this year. He has, he's been a rock star for the past three seasons, really. Physical runner, even though he's shorter in stature. Knows for the end zone. Ohio State's front seven on defense will absolutely have their hands full with this guy, like McCarthy, though, like I can bring some things up, right? So, Corum's yard per carry average is down one full yard this season. He's under 5.0; he's at 4.9. And you look at some of these games; he averaged 4.0 yards per carry, 4.0 yards per carry against Indiana, 3.9 against Michigan State, 2.9 against Purdue. And 3.4 last week against Maryland. To be fair, he also almost single-handedly beat Penn State. He ran it down their throat. Dude's a professional yard-getter, don't get me wrong. But, you know, he racked up 1,463 yards in 12 games last season. He's sitting at 888 in 2023. It's not all on him, but the Wolverines' run game has not been as consistently good as it was last year. Do you agree?
1: I agree, but you're also going up against a run team that was arguably the best they've had in decades. That that run game last year was, was it. I mean, think about it. They broke in McCarthy as a first-time starter and made it to a semifinal, and he really didn't do anything all year until towards the end of the season. So... Yes, they are down, but they're still dangerous. I don't care. I know Quorum's at 4.9. I don't care. I know Edwards is at 3.4. I don't care. They scare me. And the part I think that scares me the most is if there has been a chink in the armor of this defense, there have been moments where teams could run. There, have not, there has not been a game where teams could run, but there has been a quarter a quarter and a half, two quarters, where teams got rolling and then Ohio State shut it down. My concern is once you let this team get rolling, will they be able to shut it down? So I'm hoping it doesn't ever get to that because these guys are talented. They're both NFL guys.
0: You took the words sort of right out of my mouth is think back to Notre Dame. Think back to a drive or two against Wisconsin. Think back to the Rutgers game. Rutgers didn't put up points, but that's because (laughs) – You know, I I think Shiano sort of lost his mind a little bit. Ohio State has been able to, you know, stop the bleeding, per se. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't know that they can do that if Michigan really starts going downhill and they can hit you with two backs. Notre Dame ran in 50 of them. Rutgers, not so much, but they can keep... the team up north can keep throwing things at you. I didn't even write down the name of the, the third running back, and it's not a disrespect thing. I just don't have it. They have got they can go three or four deep if they absolutely have to. Like you said, or like you alluded to, Corm is often spelled by Donovan Edwards. Not going to call out the latter, because he absolutely earned bragging rights last season. But... You brought up the average. I will point out that in an interview earlier this year, Edwards said that he will go down as one of the greatest running backs to play the game and believes that he will revolutionize the game and the running back position with his skill set. And he has 323 rushing yards and three touchdowns this season. Just going to put that out there. Look, he's also an accomplished pass catcher. Like he he can be dangerous, but he has regressed this year. We didn't neither one of us wanted to say that about McCarthy. I'm not gonna say that about Corum. Donovan Edwards has regressed this year. But, you know, he ran for two two hundred last year, so can't knock him too much. At tight end and on the perimeter, Ohio State will be tasked with covering pass catchers such as Colston Loveland, A.J. Barner, Roman Wilson, and Cornelius Johnson. I mentioned the Wolverines' tight ends first because I actually think that Loveland and Barner are the team's best... What do I want to say? They're the best pro prospects as far as pass catchers go, in my opinion. Loveland is second on the team in both receptions, receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns, while Barner, an Indiana transfer, also plays a lot in those two tight end sets. Outside of Notre Dame, I don't know if Ohio State has faced a game-breaking tight end. And the Buckeyes didn't exactly handle that very well in South Bend. Loveland is a problem, he will be a pro, and you can't ignore Barner either. So, the tight ends are something to keep an eye on. Wilson and Johnson, a wide receiver, two solid vets. They complement each other pretty well. Wilson is a burner, he leads the Wolverines with 10 receiving touchdowns, and Johnson is that big body who can run and make legit contested. Can, Uh, catches he is also the guy who torched Ohio State last November got loose on a few broken coverages whatever they were went for 160 yards and two scores almost like there's a theme right like damn if only the Buckeyes could have prevented big plays against the team up north and Georgia what's your opinion of these pass catchers for the team up north That's exactly
1: what I was thinking. I don't want to say, oh, yeah, they can handle these guys because they haven't handled them. So until they prove otherwise, you have to have a a healthy amount of respect for what these guys can do. The tight end part of it is really concerning because, like you said, they haven't had to face that. And when you're facing something that you haven't faced in two months, how do you – and I get it. They've got good tight ends to practice against. This is the year of the tight end at Ohio state. So they've had that working for them, but it's not like going up against an opponent. So that part of it, the middle of the field is where they killed them last year and in, in medium and deep. And it's still to me is where this defense is at its most vulnerable for the passing.
0: It's sort of wild, right? It's, Ohio State hasn't faced this total combination from another team. Um, Aerial attack of Western Kentucky, okay, they figured that out. The best comp is probably Notre Dame. And if you give me that defensive performance again, I'll take it 20 times out of 10. Like I'll, I'll take that right now, and then we'll figure out what Ohio State's offense. But McCarthy is certainly more mobile than Sam Hartman. And for whatever reason, Sam Hartman made uh, didn't have a great game against the Buckeyes, but they had the tight ends, they had the running game. In theory, Penn State could have had these things, but Ohio State wasn't facing teams that had really sort of executed all year in every area as far as offenses go. Up front, the Wolverines are good. They're experienced. But like I said earlier, the ground game hasn't been as efficient in 2023. Production, overall production, is still there. Pass Pro is solid. But this is not the same group that dominated in 2022. Now, do they have the potential to blow guys off the ball? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that Ohio State the wolverines offensive line and the buckeyes defensive line i think that they are much 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 more evenly matched than they were last season like it seems pretty obvious right
1: they are more evenly matched but the part that still is concerning and the the anxiety as a fan is their line even though it's not going to win three straight offensive line of the year awards this year. It's still better than Ohio state. So now you get to check that off as a position group. That's better than Ohio state. And. uh, Ohio state hasn't like we've, we've talked about the pass rush and I know uh, there have been flashes, but they haven't beat up a good offensive line yet. And that's my concern is they won't beat this one up. And could potentially give McCarthy a ton of time because they can't get anywhere close to him.
0: Put a put a pin in the position groups because I want to come back to that. But let's get to the other side of the ball for the team up north. On defense, they've got some dogs. They really do. The Wolverines are giving up just nine points per game this season. Best scoring defense in college football. Now, I could bring up their schedule, but I won't because they have a lot of common opponents with the Buckeyes. However, I will say that I feel like Maryland was able to pick apart Jesse Minter's secondary a little bit last week. Tiger Valoa lost his mind on a few interceptions, but he also completed 21 of 31 for 250 yards in a little bit of wind. And as the competition has gotten better, the team up north has started to give up some more points. Not a ton. Right? Like they haven't given up more than 24 points in a game, but they were damn near pitching shutouts every single week until November. Purdue scored 13. Penn State scored 15. Maryland scored 24. Not crazy amounts of points, but nine is an inflated number just based on who they've played. Not saying they're not a fantastic defense. But at least Ohio State they played Notre Dame Uh, they played Western Kentucky for whatever that's worth I wanted to say they played Wisconsin but gosh they suck so my point is that Ohio State is right behind them Ohio State is giving up 9.3 points per game and they played better competition and I don't even think that's an opinion I think that's a fact up front I like, I don't know, is that fair though? Like, I I think that the team up north's defense is outstanding. Penn State is really the only team that was able to run on them. But like the Wolverines haven't played anybody. And like I said, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, that's something. Western Kentucky, that's something. So I think that the guys up north are phenomenal against the run, but I can't guarantee it. Like, I just have a hard time evaluating the Buckeyes rival this week or their rival in general.
1: I don't think the difference is that big because Notre Dame has shown that their offense isn't that great. And I know Western Kentucky can sling it, but let's be honest, they're not that great. So I don't think there is that big of a difference when it comes to the offenses that these teams faced. It's to the point where if you argue one defense is better than the other, you can make the point that you're right, and vice versa. And there's nothing really anybody can can fight. There are points for both, so I think giving them their due respect is absolutely the right call. I do think Ohio State's definitely like got the best defense in the country, uh, but the, if you told me they were one, two in the country, and this X, Y, and Z is why, hey. You're probably right, and I, I, I would be willing to go with it.
0: Yeah, this whole exercise is about giving credit, but then also trying to like fairly point out that this is not uh, you know the the Patriots team that went 17 and 0 or or whatever started out that way. Up front for the Wolverines, Mason Graham, uh, Chris Jenkins, and Kenneth Grant, all really solid interior guys, strong, quick, good hands, etc. Uh, Grant is a literal mountain, 6'3", 340. The main pass rushers are Jalen Harrell and Derek Moore. Uh, the former leads the Wolverines with five and a half sacks, and he's an athletic dude. He can get a- absolutely get after it. They'll also work in Josiah Stewart. Interesting guy, transferred from Coastal Carolina. He had 13 sacks in 2021, only three and a half last season. But on a part-time basis in 2023, he is up to four and a half as a, a new Wolverine. I think that I'm more concerned about the interior of the team up north's defensive line. But Ohio State will obviously have Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones fighting in there. So hopefully they can open some holes for Trey. Where... Which, I guess, point of attack are you most concerned with from that defensive line? You know, Do you think it's the, the monsters in the middle, or is it the pass rush because the Buckeyes might have to put Josh Simmons and or jo- Josh Fryer on an island? That is by far my biggest concern because I think you could scheme away from
1: defensive tackles in the running game. Let's not act like Travion's just a pounded up the middle and he's just going to bang his head into these guys every play. There are going to be opportunities for that, but even some of that is going to be misdirection. It's going to be counter. It's going to get crazy in there. They're going to have some – Some some running plays that we haven't seen this year, trying to get him in space so that he can put his foot in the ground and go. And I think you got to do that, though, by getting him off tackle out into something. So that part of it, I think they can scheme around because Travion's so talented and he's so damn fast. The pass rushers and I know the pass pro has been better than the run blocking for this offensive line. But this is going to be a loud stadium. They are going to be on their heels, and it is, every time McCord goes back to pass, uh, I am going to hold my breath that he doesn't get crushed on that player.
0: He better not be back there for long. I'll tell you that. At linebacker for the Wolverines, Junior Colston is one of the best in the Big Ten, period, point blank. Got on the field immediately back in 2021, followed up with 100 tackles in 2022. He is the, he's the Mike. he is the air traffic controller up north. And next to him is either Michael Barrett or Nebraska transfer Ernest Hausman. The team up north runs a 4-2-5 and I think it was Hausman who saw most of the snaps early on, but... He's taken a back seat to Barrett lately. Surprisingly so, in my opinion. Because Barrett has a ton of of experience. But Hausman was like a really coveted guy in the transfer portal. Either way, they have three or four linebackers, just like they have four or five capable defensive linemen. They've got a lot of guys up front, or in that front seven. In the back end... Mike Still and Will Johnson lead the secondary. Still played wide receiver for three seasons, switched to defensive back last year, and now he leads the Wolverines in interceptions with five. A nickel slot kind of guy, but he attempts to play big and physical, like he'll hit, he'll support the run game, the whole nine. Johnson, if I had to guess, is probably going to see a lot of Marvin Harrison Jr., Now, he has only been credited with 18 tackles and four pass breakups this season. He's only played nine games, but he's a serious talent. He was a top five corner in the 2022 class, and he's got that prototypical size that you want in a cornerback. He's 6'2", 200, 205, whatever he is. So don't let him beat you. Don't let him get his hands on the ball. And then Rod Moore and McCurry Page are the safeties to watch. I think that Ohio State can absolutely throw on this secondary if McCord is on top of his game or playing well. I've spoken very highly of Will Johnson. I, I think he's phenomenal. But, and Sandra still switching positions, what he's done is admirable. But, like, I watched a lot of that Maryland game. Tua was finding some open guys. Uh, He had a near touchdown that I don't know who the corner was for the team of North. Like, he just got beat. And had it not been for the interceptions, which I get it, like, they count, and Kyle McCord has thrown a couple of bad ones this year. Maryland was able to move the ball through the air. And, like, that is quite literally the only offense that the team up north has faced this year that, like, has a pulse with their passing game. It has been a rough, rough go. Like, I'll just name you the teams really quickly outside of the non con. Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, Purdue, Penn State. Those teams can't throw the ball. And I know that Ohio State has faced most of them. Even the non-con, though, like Eastern Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green. What I'm trying to say is the Wolverines have not faced anything in the stratosphere, in the universe of... Travion Henderson, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, really even Cade Stover. Like, like, There's not a tight end on any of the teams that they have played that is as productive as Cade Stover. So I do believe that Ohio State, if they're executing well, can move the ball through the air on this Wolverines uh, defense-slash-secondary.
1: You have a confidence in Kyle McCord that he has not justified you having because he hasn't experienced anything like this like if just off the top of your head when what were his best passing performances this year
0: no 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 i'm saying if he's playing well like he has to really i don't know step his game up he has to meet what we've seen his ceiling be this year like make the throws that he made against michigan state but you're right that is ignoring the noise and the one through 11 quality that he's going to face on the other side. I I give you all that. I think the expectation that you need him to be
1: what he was against Michigan State, who is 88th in FBS and passing yards given up while playing them at home versus going to Michigan, who is uh, a half a yard ahead of Ohio State for number one, in the country and fewest passing yards given up is a really, really, really big ask. We have not seen, and I know he put up some yards against Penn State, and that to me that was probably his best performance because of that, because he actually played a defense that was worth something, and he put up some yards in that one. But nothing that he has done since Penn State. Was against a good defense and I don't I I think if that's what it's going to take for them to win, they are in big trouble. I think I I don't think Kyle McCord is going to go into this game and come out with a stat line that you would say, yep, that's why Ohio State won the game and. So there's going to have to be other places for them to win this game. I You can't expect him to carry this team. Now, I think putting Henderson in good spots to start it can make it easier on him. But if that doesn't happen on top of it, I think they're in real big trouble. But McCord's not—McCord's the second-best quarterback in this game. And I I know McCarthy has not been the best at the end of this year, but he has not looked like McCord has in about three or four different games that Kyle McCord has looked really poor in. So the Buckeyes have the second-best quarterback in this game, and that's something that hasn't happened in a while. So that part of it is something that they are really going to have to come up with something super, Super creative to put him in positions to succeed that they haven't done the first eleven games against really tough defenses when they face them.
0: I hear you. I respect you. I I don't have a strong strong argument to make against you. But I mean, look, Kyle McCord was this was ten games ago. You know, eight nine games ago, whatever it was. He went into South Bend, and he was good enough. 21 for 35, granted he had a fumble, right? And he got saved, but he didn't even throw a touchdown, really. But he was 21 for 35, like 250. He was good enough. And, heck, against Penn State, granted he was at home. 22 for 35, 286 yards, and a touchdown. You say he's the second best quarterback. Maybe he is. We've seen McCarthy play, like, at a really, really high level. I also saw J.J. McCarthy throw for 60 yards against Penn State. I, I'm i not saying that's an apples-to-apples comparison. I'm really not. But 7 for 8, 60 yards versus 22 for 35 for 290 yards. That's a big difference. And, like, it's a whole different beast up north. I I There's no way on God's green earth I can disagree with you or, like, undersell it. Notre Dame's not nothing, especially for his third start, whatever it was of the season. And I keep going back to – you could probably even say the same thing for Ohio State. I think that the team up north has a really, really good defense. I i think that they're really, really good against the pass. But I don't know. They have a one-game sample size, in my opinion, and it's Maryland. And I thought Tua looked pretty good, interceptions aside. Their other 10 games, they're out the window to me. I don't give a shit what Bowling Green could or could not do throwing the ball against Michigan. I don't care what Indiana, Michigan State, teams like that could do against the team up north throwing the ball. It's a one-game sample size, and I thought Tagovailoa looked pretty good against them. If Kyle McCord can replicate those numbers minus the turnovers, then I think Ohio State's got a really good chance. I don't disagree.
1: I just I, – I think it is a, a – it would have to have be the best game he's played in college for him to replicate those numbers
0: because of the level of the defense. This is really tough because we don't have, like, the big non-con game that either one of us can point to. I – Offensively, I think Notre Dame sort of challenged, but that's a good defense. Notre Dame is giving up, I just had it, Notre Dame is giving up 148 yards passing per game. They are seventh in points per game allowed. They've got Ben Morrison, who was like a freshman All-American. They've got Cam Hart. They've got some guys in that secondary. Very comparable to the team up north. And I thought McCord was pretty good in a, in a, a tough atmosphere. Not not the big house, uh, but a tough atmosphere on the road against a good secondary. So that's what gives me some of the confidence. And then, yeah, against Penn State, McCord's pretty damn good. 290, a tug, no interceptions. Got it. Can't fumble. Can't do that like he did in both of the games that we've really sort of hit on here, but that's what gives me some of the confidence. But I want to get to the spread and our predictions and things like that. Give me me something that you think could come out of left field from, let's say, from an Ohio State perspective, because I don't think we know enough about the other team. And what I would love... To come out of left field is like they just forfeit. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I don't care. But from an Ohio State perspective, what's something or someone that you think could like have a career-defining game or come out of nowhere? Like, spoiler alert: I'm writing about the Chris Olave Award, 2018 true freshman. Nobody knows who the hell he is. Catches two touchdown, blocks a punt. I'm not saying that. But like, what do you think could give Ohio State an unexpected edge or advantage?
1: You mentioned him and, and you brought up in your uh article earlier this week about Carnell Tate. I think Tate could be that guy for the offense that we've seen him sometimes like they've pulled the the Ferrari out, but they don't take it out to the highway. They've just kind of driven him around the neighborhood, stopped at a couple stop signs. Maybe put it on 270 here, but we haven't actually got out and like let him go. So this may be that game to let him go. I think a position group, if the defensive line can get pressure consistently in this game, I think it completely changes what Michigan has to do offensively. And if they can do that, if Jack Sawyer and JT Tui play the games, you, if you give me last week Jack Sawyer and – uh, JT Tui will out Penn State either game. I don't even need last year. I'll take this year's. If you give me those performances, then you're, you're cooking because they're going to really struggle to move the ball if they've got guys in their face the entire time. So both sides of the ball there are potential for uh, standouts that haven't quote unquote stood out at all times, but they have the pedigrees and they have the talent that, hey, if you're going to you're gonna do it. This is the game to do it
0: in. I'll, I'll give you one on both sides of the ball as well. Unfortunately, it's the same one you had on offense. I think Carnell Tate can be a guy, whereas like like you'd have to disguise it. You can't just say, "Hey, when Fleming's in the ball, we're gonna in the game, we're gonna run it, and when Tate's in the game, we're gonna throw it." But because I do think that Julian Fleming is a good blocker, I don't think that Carnell Tate is there, depending on what they need, but. I think having that threat out there could be to Ohio State's advantage and it lets Ryan Day get more creative and it gives him more weapons at his disposal. And then on defense, I don't know like exactly what it's going to be, but I think that Jim Knowles is going to do something with his linebackers and safeties that makes it more difficult. For JJ McCarthy and the team up north. Like, I wish I could give you the perfect answer, like a, a better prediction. I don't know what it's going to be, but like, I don't think that Sonny Styles can just sit back and be a deep safety, right? Like, I think they need to get him involved closer to the line of scrimmage, maybe to where he is shadowing a tight end or something like that at certain times. And with the threat of McCarthy's legs, that's something else where, like, I don't think that you cannot account for him. So I don't know if it's a spy. I don't know if it's having three linebackers on the field more often. Unfortunately, they haven't t- been able to test the depth that much. Like, look, Jihad Carter, I've been wanting to see him all year. He's not going to start. This weekend, so that they can move Sonny Styles up and play him as a linebacker, like that—that that ain't gonna happen. But I, I think Jim Mills is going to come up with something that, like, just sort of accounts for the middle of the field, front to back, side to side. Because I think that he does sort of test his guy, or he he trusts his quarterbacks in coverage. So that's sort of a non-answer. But that's where I'm at as far as what they can do on either side of the ball. So, let's get to predictions. I think we both have butterflies right now. And I'm interested to see what you say. But I'm going to let you go first. Chuck, what is your prediction for the game on Saturday? So, I
1: think this boils down. And I think the reason I have this is... There's two areas that Ohio State has really struggled this year. One is special teams, and one is red zone offense. And they have been real Achilles heels. Now, they have not had a team take advantage of those yet. My concern is you don't generally get through a season with those two areas being that poor together, and it not cost you at some point. So unfortunately, I think at some point, special teams cost them, whether it's a block punt, return for a touchdown, something on a short field, uh, something along those lines that gives Michigan some easy points. And I, th- I think this offense is going to bog down in the, in the red zone. Part of my concern is we talk about Ryan Day when he has time to prepare Clemson, Georgia. Well, he doesn't have time to prepare. If they were playing this game in January, I think Ryan Day has this team ready to go, and they win by 10 points, 14 points, maybe even 20 points. But because they're not, if he's not going to have that time, I think they're going to have a lot of the same stuff in the red zone. And for me, this screams a slight cover of a 2016 Wolverines win because the buck guys can't punch the ball into the end zone like they we think they can. And then they give the offense of Michigan whether it's a short field or a control, and Michigan ends up winning this game.
0: You're a bastard, and I'm embarrassed to have you on this podcast. I, I honestly can't believe that you're you're choosing the Wolverines. I mean, I I get it, but I I will at some point I will pick against Ohio State on Look, this I'm, podcast. I'm not
1: rooting. I'm not rooting for it. I'm just telling you what I think is going to happen.
0: Some would call that manifesting, but I at some point I will pick against Ohio State on this podcast I'm not going to do it against the team up north unless I think that the Buckeyes are severely outmatched I think that you know if you look at position group by position group I don't agree with your assessment that Kyle McCord is the second best quarterback I think I, I think they're equal because I JJ McCarthy hasn't done shit in a month okay I know what he's capable of. But I know what Kyle McCord, I think I know what Kyle McCord is capable of. I say it's a wash. At the very least, it's close. You look at every other position, I think it's close. I think it's a wash. uh, The team up north obviously has a, a better offensive line. Ohio State obviously has the better wide receivers. And I would argue collection of skill position talent. Um, look, I, I, I really think Ohio State's got a better secondary. I, There are things that I would give Ohio State a significant advantage for at whatever. The red zone is concerning. The special teams, yeah, it's concerning. But I don't know, man. Like, I, I think that I think Ohio State is is playing some of its best football. Not all of its best football. Kyle McCord did not play his absolute best against Minnesota. He may have thrown the ball better than he ever has two weeks prior, though, against Michigan State. But Travion Henderson, like, man, he looks awesome right now. And Ameka Ibuka looks better. And... Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be the best player in this game, hands down, unequivocally, without question. So, I think it's going to be close. I would not be shocked if the Wolverines won. But, ultimately, I'm going to stick true to uh, something that I sent or said to Matt. I think that the team up north, they get to the red zone a number of times... But I think that Ohio State is able to play that bend but don't break defense. Force a number of field goals. Three to be exact. I'm going to go 24-23 Ohio State. I think that they get it done. I think that the guys are ready. Look, like would I love to have C.J. Stroud instead? Maybe, but... I'm not giving up on my guy. I think he can do enough with the with the team around him. This this defense is so much better than it was last year and the running game they can't block nearly as well, but Trayvon Henderson is he looks like the best running back Ohio State has had in twenty nineteen? Twenty twenty when No, I mean that was the Master T gear. Like he looks great and I think he could be a difference maker along with the other guys that we've mentioned. So I'm not a turncoat. Uh, I'm going to go with my gut and my heart here. I think the Buckeyes pulled off 24, 23. So look partner, I know until then you and I, uh, we're going to be in knots. We're going to have those butterflies. We're going to have our fingers crossed, our toes crossed, whatever. But regardless, I think it's going to be a good game. I think it has potential to be a special game Maybe it is the game of the 2020s. It's not the game of the century, but I'm really looking forward to it. I know that you are too. Come hell or high water, we'll be back here on Sunday. I hope that we're discussing a positive result for the Buckeyes, but we'll see, man. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the entire weekend. So, Until then, though, we're going to get out of here. For Chuck Holmes, I'm Josh Dooley. We're going to ask you please like, rate, review, subscribe to the pod. And as always, guys, and even more so this week, this episode, go Bucks.